You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Matt Teal. Matt is the president of Signature Wealth Strategies High Point, and Matt and I met about a year ago when he was working at, a, at another firm and really kind of going through the process of trying to figure out what might be next for his future. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. Thanks for having me. Well, Matt, one of the things, as I said there in the intro, that is unique about you is that we met as you were trying to prepare for or considering a transition. But before we get into that, how about tell our listeners a little bit about you and kind of how you got here? Okay. Thank you, Chip. Yes, my name is Matt Teal. I'm in High Point, North Carolina, the furniture capital of the world. Lived here since 2002. Got into industry in 1999 in Charlotte, North Carolina, as the department head for annuities and insurance for what was then small regional broker-dealer, Interstate Johnson Lane, and through the mergers, the acquisitions, the consolidation in the industry, found myself at a large wirehouse firm and until recently had spent 21 years there all at one firm and then, as you said, made the decision to make a transition this summer, and here I am today. So, Matt, it's unusual to some extent, or, or maybe it is, that somebody would spend their entire career with a company and then after 20 plus years decide to make a change. How hard was that for you in terms of making that decision? That's a great question. And in fact, as I talked to clients through this transition, so many of them, when I told them about starting new or starting fresh, they talked about some said, gosh, Matt, I just figured you were a lifer at your former firm. You had been there so long. And yet, I could say I wasn't there my entire career. In fact, what happened, Chip, was I wasn't necessarily looking to go anywhere else. And in fact, it was hard because after 21 years, I used to say, I'm institutionalized, right? I know the way to do things. I'm very comfortable with the good and the bad of the process. There's very little that I don't know how to get done or be familiar with. And I was very comfortable, I will say, where I was in the sense that I was very familiar with the status quo. So when you started the process, what was it that was kind of the catalyst for you looking to make a change? Because a lot of times I talk a lot about there being a difference between leaving from, you know, somewhere that you're unhappy and leaving to, to go and do something different. What changed? Right. Yeah. What was the catalyst? That's what a lot of clients asked. And it's interesting the way you asked that question, Chip, because it was really a combination of both, right? When you've been somewhere 21 years, there's often something that changes or happens that says it's time to go, but then that's not enough. You need to think of where you want to go to as well. And for me, I joined in High Point, North Carolina over 18 years ago as a junior advisor to a senior advisor in a legacy position and was groomed and brought along to be his successor. And then when he chose to retire, 
little over a year ago, he chose to pass his business to someone else. So that was a wake-up call for me that the plan that I had in place wasn't going to happen. And yet, just like you said, Chip, the initial reaction was leave the next day, right? But I didn't have a plan B. I hadn't been out there looking. I wasn't considering change. And to just leave, just because I was mad or upset, that just didn't make sense to me. I had way too many clients, too many relationships, and too much invested in who I was and how I did things. And so really, that was the first catalyst that said it was time to go. But then I spent a significant amount of time, and I'm so glad I did, probably the better part of 10 months evaluating and looking at the choices and allowed myself to take the time to feel like if I'm going to make a change, A, it needs to be better, and B, it needs to be the right place because I don't want to make a change and then to feel like two, three years later, I want to make a change again. In other words, once I was ready, it was then to find a place that I felt like I could be at for 20 years. For sure. And my hope is that we'll talk a good bit about your transition because you've been fantastically successful, if I can say it that way. But before I leave kind of your story, I'm curious, what did you learn? I wrote down in my notes, left at the altar. That's kind of the picture that came up that you've, as a, a junior advisor, an associate or whatever, for almost 20 years to then have him or her have selected somebody else. If there were somebody else in a similar situation that's listening to us, what would you tell them before we get into the transition stuff? What would you tell them to be mindful of? Are there any suggestions that you'd have for people who are in that role in that position that might help them prevent being in that kind of situation? Well, that's a great question. And in some ways, Chip, that could be its own podcast, I imagine. But I think the things that I've learned from the process and, and were things that I did and did well, maintain that relationship with the client, independent of what anyone else is doing or, or what you think might happen. Make sure you're always adding value because ultimately, on down the road, the client chooses who he or she works for, number one. Number two, hindsight being 2020, if you're in a junior advisor role, get as much production literally in your name, right? On your rep code, you get credit for it. So it's not, well, we're going to, on a sheet of paper, say that you did this or you did that because, especially in a big firm, ultimately they just say, well, What's the rep code? What's the dollars assigned? And that's the only quote unquote ownership that you have. And then beyond that, I think you just have to roll with the punches and recognize as I've processed that fact, I didn't feel this way a year and a half ago, but I look back at it now and that advisor certainly was not his intention. He did me a favor because it opened up my eyes, it opened up my world, and it opened up the possibilities and the opportunities to what else I could be. Because as long as I was where I was before and part of his team, I would always be the junior advisor, sort of carrying on what he was doing. But once I broke out of that mold or, or was pushed out of that mold, I suppose, then it allowed me to create my own mold, right, to figure out what it is I wanted to be. And again, a lot of pain, suffering, tears and, and jeers in the 
meanwhile, but it ultimately got me to a place where I felt like this is where God wanted me to be. And if I look back at it now, I'm actually better off for the fact that that happened. So when it came time, Matt, to look for a new home, you'd been in the same place two decades. You started looking at other opportunities. What were the things that were important to you? What were you looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm a engineer by background. And so I make a lot of lists and sometimes overanalyze things. And so I initially made a list of what my top priorities were. And I came up with, I think, 33 things. And of course, I'm not that naive. I knew you couldn't evaluate something on 33 things, or if you have 33 priorities, you really don't have any. So I narrowed it down, narrowed it down. And then I talked to the former CEO of the small regional dealer. It was just through a twist of fate. Providential, I got reconnected to the CEO of the small regional broker-dealer who knew me and, of course, had a strategic view of the industry. And I talked to him, and he said two things. So I just talked to him in plain English of what I was thinking, what I was trying to do. And he packaged it in a way that made beautiful sense. He said, Matt, number one, you want to sign on the door that says world-class so that anyone that's an existing client that you would want to move or anyone out in the community that might be attracted to you know their money's safe and they're with a first-class, world-class firm. Number two, you want to find a firm that's aligned to your vision and values. Now, when you think about that, Chip, he didn't talk about investment platform or technology or any of those sorts of things. Certainly, there's better or worse those things. But generally, any large successful firm is going to have investment choices. They're going to have experts that can help you with financial planning. For me, at least in my priorities, it was all about finding a firm that aligns with my vision and values of how I wanted to run a practice. Well, then really hits home with me because it reminded me of our journey about four and a half years ago, where really the deciding factor for us was feeling like you found your people and that culture, the way that it felt, like you said, we visited, as I know you did, a lot of places, but sooner or later, if you visit enough, you find a place that feels like home. And I I definitely think that you nailed it in terms of that being such a, a key component. Now, Matt, again, having gone through this four years ago myself, but in talking with lots of people who at least think about going through a transition, it's a scary proposition. I'm curious for you, what was your biggest fear in thinking through making a change? I was terrified. Again, even when I had found Signature and found a firm, which I didn't believe would be out there. I mean, that was part of the reason to stay at my firm was just the little bit I talked to other advisors. I just felt like pretty much the firms were all the same and had just given up hope that there were still successful firms out there that could have a family culture and a atmosphere that really focused on, you know, I feel like I'm at a firm now that was created just for me. But Still, with all that encouragement, I got cold feet a dozen times through the process. And I think what scares you the most is that clients won't follow. At least that was my fear. I'd never done this before. I'd never transitioned. I'd never even talked about transitioning clients. And a lot of the clients that I worked with and had a very close relationship with 
had been connected to me through a firm or a series of firms for 10, 12, some 15, almost 20 years. So the idea of making a change, would they follow, number one? And then number two, there's so much about a move to an independent model, so many decisions, so many aspects of that that I've never thought about or considered how to do that before. So knowing that in the midst of going through a massive change, the first transition in my career, trying to figure that part out, also trying to figure out how to run a business. So, And then at the same time, the way our industry works, while I, I was still employed by the former firm, having to do all that without being discovered. So yes, lots of fears, lots of cold feet, lots of doubts and second guesses. And yet every time I came up to one of those moments, I talked to a confidant. I talked to my wife. I talked to someone I could trust in the business and shared my fears and concerns and talked through it and realized ultimately this was not only the right thing for me to do, it was the right thing for me to do now. Well, I can relate the notion of wondering whether or not people would come in. And again, your move happened about 100 days ago. So, I mean, we're, we're right. having a, a fresh conversation and, and it's a lot like throwing your business up in the air and hoping you can catch everything before somebody else does or before they hit the ground. That, that's kind of how I've always processed the idea of transitioning a business like ours, because there are other people who would like to keep the clients where they are. What did you find, Matt, in going through the transition process? And I don't know if I've mentioned yet, I did say 100 days, you transitioned about a million dollars a day. So 100 million in 100 days is staggering. I don't think that a lot of people would feel like that was possible. I'm curious what the biggest struggle is, because there were a lot of fears, a lot of which it sounds like weren't necessarily realized. What was something that either didn't go as planned or was more stressful than you thought it would be? Well, I think that initial transition, just not knowing, right, what was going to come, what clients would say. So that very first call, right, I had rehearsed it probably 30 times, and yet you have to make that first call. And I laugh looking back. Yes, it's been wildly successful. I didn't have anything to compare it to, but enough people have said remarkably successful, 96% retention of clients, a verbal commitment from over 90% of my existing practice within the first week. But I laugh and say, if the person I called had said boo or no, I don't know. I Maybe I would have shut down, but I knew why I was moving and what I was moving for. I had that so sure in my mind and I had totally committed. This is the other thing that I suspect is if people just say, well, I, I think this is right for me. No, I totally committed. And then as far as the hardest part really was learning to have to walk again. I had a client in this morning and I was talking to her and she said, yeah, you told me the hardest part is learning how to walk. And I said, well, that's actually misstated. I've had to learn how to crawl first. And what I mean by that is I didn't realize all the little things that you do with an account or with a relationship or looking up someone's phone number or processing a form or how to get a distribution out. There hadn't been a new process in my world for like 10 years. And so then having a client call that had just moved their account over that said, hey, we want to know the value of our IRA. And I didn't know if it was 
way early in the process, I didn't know how to look up their IRA value or how to pull a statement. So just relearning how to do the very basics of our job and feeling so out of control or, or, or a loss of control until you learn that. And the reality is all the resources were there. People were there to help, but you can't possibly process all that information of how to do all those things except over several months. And so the hardest part really is having the patience, having the trust, giving it the time, and then letting the process take care of itself. I don't know about you, but it also, for me, reinforced how important the team is, just how much the folks in our administrative roles and departments do, because it's a Herculean task to move that many accounts, particularly in a, a short period of time. And I, I think that for those of us who've been advisors in one place for a long time, I, I think you're right. We get a little bit complacent as to how much really goes into that. And especially if you're only doing, you know, one or two a week, but when you're doing it in that kind of volume, it really, for me, highlighted just what an amazing job our team did and how efficient they were. And so that was something that I took away from my transition. And I'm sure that you did too. Your team was really, you know, had their sleeves rolled up and they were all in. Well, that was the difference maker in the whole thing. Not just our team, because no one on our team had transitioned before. So what's unique about our model chip is we're like a hybrid. I like to say you've got the full independent model where you're on your own. You've got the full wirehouse model where everything's done for you, but then you've got the limitations of control. Well, with the model where we joined a subgroup of Signature, we had, I'll bet at the height of our transition on any given day, we had 12 to 15 people, no kidding, working on helping us with our transition. There's no way we could have done it ourselves. And the firm that I joined, Raymond James, they that was part of my due diligence too, wanting to understand their transition and how good they were at it and what sort of resources they would provide for me to do it because I knew, A, I'd never done before, B, it was going to be a difficult transaction coming from a wirehouse, having the protocol rules and just knowing no one on our team had gone through it before. But absolutely, when I think back to the number of people that helped us just get through the process because the irony is right. You think the hardest part or the thing that I had the greatest fear of was committing and saying, yes, well, with COVID, everyone was at home. And so literally in the first seven days, I spoke to and had conversations with 110 households and all but four or five said yes. So actually that was, from a time standpoint, extraordinarily well. But then it's taken 90 days to get all of the paperwork and the statements and everything else all lined up. So it takes tons of support and so critical to not only have good people, but the other part too is to have that patience and know that it does take a full 100 days to get a successful transition and to allow yourself that time to get the practice moved in an efficient manner. Yeah, I think expectations are a big deal when it comes to thinking about what a transition can be like. And you mentioned doing your due diligence on what the experience of the people and what the process would be like. But I think that setting reasonable expectations for yourself, because I remember 
you know, the first week, I don't know that I slept. I mean, I had a plan mapped out of where I was going, who I was going to try to talk to, because like you, we didn't tell any of our clients in advance. We played by the rules. And it's one of those things where, to your point, getting yes was a lot easier sometimes than the fulfillment end of things because of how much paperwork it was. It's paperwork and process, like something that I learned through this process, and it's kind of comical now, but it's never occurred to me being in the industry so long. Clients don't look at statements anymore. Used to be everyone got their statement on the fourth or fifth of the month, and they had that paper thing, and they, you know, some clients had 10 years of it, but everyone had last month. Well, something that's vital, because when you switch firms, you don't have that data, can't take any of it with you. But of course, it's extremely helpful to have statements and Every one of our clients, or almost every one of them, could get online, but no one remembered how to pull down a statement because they hadn't done that in so long. And so, yeah, that's one thing I might do differently is if you can do this within protocol, remind my clients how to download their statements before I leave. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's one of the things that yeah I hadn't thought about that in a long time is how much of that has changed. Yeah. Because you're right. People used to keep them in a... You know, we used to give out binders to keep your statements right. in. And, and now there's the vault and all these electronic things. And it's a big change for clients. I, I think that anybody out there who hasn't ever been through this, it's important to remember that this is a big change for you. But after you tell them, this is jarring for them too. And I, I think, Matt, your point earlier about having your story down really is incredibly important. And it's interesting, you talked about, or I talked about COVID, you talked about not sleeping the first week. In many ways, COVID helped us, right? So two months before transition, we went into socially distance. So it was actually easier to prepare my departure. I was working from home. And so I could work on that during the day and sort of practice and rehearse and get my plan in place. Well, then when we transitioned June 5th, we're still in North Carolina. We're in phase one. So there wasn't an option to go visit people in person. And so there wasn't that expectation. And so I didn't. And so perversely, that allowed me to literally have a conversation with almost every client that first week. And I found it fascinating because of the number and people told me this would happen. The number of clients that practically I couldn't even get the sentence out of my mouth. I couldn't even get to the point to ask them to join. No, no, no. Wherever you're going, we're going. And that idea of the client went to the advisor, vice versa. Truly, I believe we were building the right relationships for the right reason. I didn't know I was heading into transition over the years. We were of value to our clients. And ironically, it being a unstable, changing time, they valued that certainty of the relationship. And I actually found once clients talk to us or get an email or see a process or have a conversation, they actually felt comfortable pretty quickly. Now, the other thing that we did, because we had a team that had been through transitions, we made a frequently asked question page that we emailed out. And so we had a very defined process where I did the call, we did a follow-up email, we sent and quickly asked questions piece. We had another person on our team follow up two days after that. So they were getting those 
number of touches on the front end and then any questions they had. Plus, if you work with your clients a while, you have a sense of knowing the nervous Nellies, the ones that are going to need a little more hand-holding. And that's the part that I've found has been remarkable is especially now after 100 days and clients' assets are here, we're doing reviews. Clients almost act like we didn't even skip a beat, which has been awesome. Yeah, for sure. And for me, one of the things that I found interesting when you were talking earlier was you talk about knowing your clients. You also know the ones who need to know first. Correct. Like if they found out by talking to somebody that you didn't call them and then they had to find it out third hand, you know which ones that's going to be a problem for. And, you know, it's hard, I think. And, And my advice to people, in addition to exactly what you said, which is having a really clear, defined onboarding experience as part of your transition is also don't call your biggest client first. And now I'm not saying don't call them second. I'm just saying that, you know, it's a little (laughs) bit like, you know, 22 years ago when we used to have to cold call a hundred times before lunch is that I would always call an answering machine at my house or my mom or somebody like that first, just to go ahead and get it out of the way, you know, and I've seen a lot of advisors, whether it is transitioning in a practice from one firm or the other, or adding a junior advisor or selling a practice where it takes a little while to get that story just right. So yes. don't feel like you have to go to your number one client first. Yes, that's well said. Don't take a long time, but do consider at least telling the story a few times because it loosens right up once you've told it the third or fourth time. And while that may cost you an extra hour from when you did the first one, it's time well spent because by the time you get to your largest relationship, you're kind of in your rhythm. That's a brilliant point. And even though it's only been 100 days, it's been over 80 days since I've done that prospect call and been doing so many other things. You sort of forget that. But absolutely, I look back now. Now, I didn't have the courage to wait, but I look back and laugh at the first five conversations I had were clunky and awkward. I got through them, but I learned from those and figured out quickly what clients wanted to hear, what they wanted to know, and then how to word things. I think my <laughs> my first call that I made, because again, I knew it would be a complete shock because I followed the rules and didn't tell anyone anything ahead of time. I started the call with, I've got a surprise for you. Well, this is minor, but surprise sounds negative. Whereas after doing it five times or six times, I figured out, you know, instead of surprise, how about if I say, I've got exciting news. And that small nuance, just how you start that conversation made all the difference in the world and started that conversation off right. And so, yeah, I mean, I made about 40 calls that first day, but it is something that's interesting about transition just because of the nature of the beast. You're doing your first work, your exploratory work with your best clients, whereas with most things, if it's something brand new, you're going to try it out on someone else. But to your point, or similar, I would call my mom first and tell her or or my best friend that I know is going to come and just get that affirmation, get that encouragement, feel like, okay, one person said yes, because yes, I'll tell you, after, say, three or four days of doing this and telling the story over and over again, it was like, I couldn't wait. I had talked to all 20 households, but if you had given me another 50 households, 
I could have gone through those and given a great pitch or story or message. I mean, that was really the the peak of my career for prospecting, recruiting 120 clients in a week. It's a little bit like the football coach who talks the star player into coming back for that last senior season. You know, you've got that relationship, but you also understand that, you know, the other person has a decision that they have to make. And so I would say this, that was worth the price of admission. The two things, first, don't call your best client first. Let it get warmed up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Because you just don't know what you don't know, right? And and so take it from two folks who've done it. Don't do that first. And I think your framing of, I have exciting news for you. When you went to say what you changed it to in my head, that's what I was hoping you were going to say. I have exciting news because in this process, again, it's jarring. And so you really want to make sure that you're framing this well. And we didn't talk about this earlier and I wish we had, but I know, Matt, that your process and, and ours too you have to understand what's in this for the client. This isn't just about you and your team. It's certainly not or shouldn't be about money. It should be about how you're going to serve your clients and having those things at the tip of your tongue, having really thought through why this is a good decision for you to help make for them as a steward of their financial life, I think, is key. And you make another excellent point, Chip. So for six months, roughly, well, like four intensively, but for the six months from December to June, it was all about me and the company telling me how I would organize my practice and how I would move my team and all the things I had to do and me, 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 and all the reasons why, because they were recruiting me. It was my job to recruit the clients, right? And so it was that first day that I had to remember, right? In the morning, I had to think what I did for legal, what I did for compliance, what I did to get my license or be me, me. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it was a reminder, even though all I'm focused on as far as transition is me and how I'm set up and organized, the client's going to choose for their reasons. And even though I was blessed that so many said yes, it did take me a moment to understand Because the the other thing was, too, I'd never transitioned with them before. And for many of them, I hadn't, quote, unquote, recruited them in over 15 years. So they were institutionalized, right? They were comfortable with status quo as well. And I had my reasons. I knew my reasons. It was more just how to explain it in a way that the client saw a benefit to them. Because, you know, better or worse, the most common response that I got from clients from my original conversation or my original part of my talk was congratulations for you. Well, I did that intentionally to just try to get them excited and let them know that it was positive. But then I said, yes, this is better for us. Now, let me tell you why I believe it's better for you. And ultimately, yes, they like you. They've been your clients for a long time, but they're going to make the decision to move for reasons that it benefits them. And that's okay. That's necessary. And if you made the move for the right reason, I mean, this goes back to the due diligence too. If you made the move and picked a firm that had the 205% payout and a huge signing bonus, and that truly was your only motivation, I, I don't know, that wasn't mine, you know, good luck trying to convince clients that it's better for them. But since I was truly felt like I had found a place that was better for them, could say it not only convincingly, but with sincerity, they really felt that, and, and that's what was attractive. And again, as much as they liked me, they came because they believed it would be better for them. 
so Matt, you've got a lot to be proud of, Thank but you. I'm I'm curious as you look back on the hundred days, what would you say that through this process has either been your biggest success or what are you most proud of? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, naturally, the thing I'm most proud of is the retention, right? After the first week and enough clients that said, yes, I got my team together that moved with me and said, okay, I guess we're going to have a second week. So now we have to figure out how to do this because clients are coming. So clearly, that was my biggest joy and my biggest success. But beyond that, it was this understanding that I always wanted to have a practice that was more unique and innovative and just things that inside of the structure of a W-2 employee, being in a large corporate structure that you could never do, it was that realization of now I'm going to get to do this. Now I'm going to have the opportunity to really pursue, and I don't have someone trying to stop me, throw roadblocks at me, or say, no, you can't do this. Not that my idea was right or wrong, but I get to choose the direction I go in. And then beyond that, to see my wife step up. So. I was already in the industry when I got married. And so all of that was set. Well, to start your own practice, I mean, it took my wife actually partially encouraging me to take the step and then being very involved in setting up an office and getting the bills. And she actually did the lease negotiations so that we could keep it more secret. Seeing how our family became closer together, because this was ours and something that we could do as a couple, as a family, and really own outright. That's just awesome. It's just incredibly gratifying for anybody who's never gone through it. When you get to the other side and you realize that the clients really are yours, they aren't the firms, they're yours, and they're with you. And the clients love that. For sure. The clients are excited about that. That's the part that I didn't expect. I expected, well, oh my gosh, is my money saving, you know, the firm was so huge. No, they get it, and and they're excited about it. I mean, clients. I thought there's no way they're going to leave a large institutional firm. They're so risk averse, so so resistant to change. And they were like, "Oh my, I'm so glad." Oh boy, they get the idea of owning your own business, of having more personal attention, and having more ability to personalize the work that you do. I mean, they get it, and they love it. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, again, as an advisor, it, there's no better feeling than that. It's just a re for somebody who's been with you for 15 years to, to transition with you is a recommitment and yes. just a wonderful experience bringing, again, it's not, it, neither of us is making it out to be easy, but it's a wonderful experience when you get to this point, you know, when you're three months out and you've done the work and you've been successful to see how you have persevered, how your team has come together, and then, you know, what the, yes. the excitement level of, of the clients, I think, is, for me, it's worth what we had to do to get there. And so, you know, Matt, as we kind of wrap up, one of the things I, I pride myself in in the podcast is trying to be action-oriented. And, you know, we've talked about a lot. could probably go on for hours. Maybe I'll have you back and we can talk through in more detail some of the things that you went through prior to your transition, but as an action-oriented podcast, if, if somebody heard something in your story that kind of resonates with them and they, they wanted to take the first step towards independence, what's the first thing that you'd suggest that they do? I think they need to find someone they trust in their inner circle 
but that could be a spouse, that could be a trusted friend, and just share the feeling. Just talk it out. Sometimes just hearing yourself say it. I mean, I was so institutionalized, the idea of even thinking about it. And then explain what it is that you want. Maybe your current situation just needs some small changes and you'd be happy there. That's great. And then I was very blessed that having been in the industry so long, I had someone that was in the industry that I could talk to that understood what it all meant to change firms and things and have a conversation. Then I told them what I really wanted to do in just my own plain language. And I'd never done that before. It's easy to say, I want to hire payout. No, I said, here's really my vision, my dream of what I'd like my practice to look like 20 years from now. And then first, they were able to tell me, yes, that exists in the industry. I didn't look before then, in part because I didn't realize there were options and opportunities out there. So that's number one, talk to someone you trust and share what you're really wanting to do or what would excite you, what would energize you. Because yes, it's hard, but there's always a goal or a wish or dream that can overcome that. And then number two, write down what's most important. That's going to be different for each person. So you understand what drives you, what motivates you, and what really matters. So what's most important? Because if you choose to go look and talk to firms, there's all different choices and some are better at things than others. So knowing what's most important matters. And then just know there's a lot of choices. So if you do choose to go down the path, no, this isn't the first step you do, but ultimately, I believe I was successful because I made the choice based on what I believe was most important to me, and it was. In other words, no place you're at, no place you go to is going to be perfect. But the thing that was most important to me, the place I was am at now had, and that made all the difference. And once I believed in that, totally committed to that, in a sense, the rest took care of itself. Well, Matt, you've got a phenomenal story. I appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing it with everybody. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Chip. You're very welcome. Now, if that sounds like you, if any of that resonated with you, feel free to reach out. You can reach out directly to me, Chip at MaximumAdvisor.com. Happy to give you my thoughts, having gone through a couple of transitions as well as helped other people and have spent a lot of time doing due diligence on a lot of different firms around and happy to share my experience with you, point you in the right direction. But for the right direction in terms of your listening, hope that you will share the podcast with somebody else that you know, and we will look forward to be back with you real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.